and welcome to the movie's past and present podcast. It's May 31st, 2021, and this is episode 71. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just on my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. Happy to report that really movie theaters, I think, are coming back in a big way. Um, Last weekend, we had uh, two films open up, uh, A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella. And uh, from what I've read, both did uh, rather well at the box office, again, considering not all theaters are open, and again, with COVID restrictions, etc., um, and then this upcoming weekend, we've got uh, a couple of new films. So, so opening on Friday, June fourth, um, you know, we've got another horror movie. Uh, it's another uh, film in the Conjuring universe. It's called The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, this is directed by Michael Chavez. Um, as I mentioned, it's the seventh film uh, in this whole Conjuring. Uh, franchise or universe as uh they like to call it and it's it's the largest horror movie franchise in history right now meaning it has grossed uh the most amount of money uh the report i'm reading said that it has this these conjuring movies have grossed more than 1.8 billion uh uh, you know b as in bravo billion worldwide um it includes the first two Conjuring films, as well as Annabelle and Annabelle Creation, The Nun, and Annabelle Comes Home. All movies which I have never seen, and I never plan on seeing them ever. Um, the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, this new one that's opening up on, on Friday, reveals a chilling story of terror, murder, and unknown evil. That shocked even experienced real-life paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren again are played by Vera Farmiga. Uh, Farmiga, sorry, I'm, say, I'm probably not saying her name right. And Patrick Wilson. Uh, and um, one is based on one of the most sensational cases from their files. Uh, it starts with the fight for the soul of a young boy, then takes them beyond anything they'd ever seen before to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defense. Um, sounds perky, doesn't it? Uh, it's uh, uh, it's going to be playing in both theaters and on HBO Max, starring, starting uh, again on June 4th. And uh, I'm sure it'll come as a shock to you that The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, is rated R by the Motion Picture Association for Terror, violence, and some disturbing images, and I'm pretty much thinking it's just all disturbing images. So um, then, on, for something completely different next weekend, uh, on June 4th, we've got an animated family film called Spirit Untamed. This is from DreamWorks Animation. Spirit Untamed is, uh, is a, a CGI animated uh, film, and it's supposedly based on the Netflix animated television series called Spirit Riding Free. Um, 
and these are all based on on, on a film that DreamWorks did in 2002 uh, called Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Now, uh, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron that you know came out that came out a few years ago. It's actually quite a lovely film. Um, done in a hand-drawn animation, you know, a 2D animation style, and um, really quite a good plot and uh, and be- just gorgeous animation. Um, I have not seen any of this CGI stuff, uh, you know, including this Netflix series, but they've created they've created this film spinoff, and it's it's. Um, it's gonna be in theater, so uh, it's an epic adventure about a headstrong girl named Fortuna um, that they call Lucky. Uh, she's voiced by Isabella Merced, and Lucky longs for a place to belong. She discovers a kindred spirit uh, when her life intersects with a wild horse named, well, Spirit. Um, you know, and one thing too, as a side note, I don't know if this is the same Spirit horse, uh, or you know, horse named Spirit. That was in Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, that other movie. <laughs> or if Spirit, you know, it's just there's just been another horse that looks like Spirit and his name Spirit. So anyway, sorry, someone will have to um, help me who's, who's, uh, who's watched these. Um, when a heartless hort, horse wrangler and his team plan to capture Spirit and his herd and auction them off to a life of captivity and hard labor, um, you know, that sucks, doesn't it? Um, our female protagonist, Lucky, enlists her enlists um, some new friends she's made, and they bravely embark on an adventure of a lifetime to rescue the horse who has given Lucky her freedom and a sense of purpose. Um, uh, the voice cast of, of Spirit Untamed also includes Julianne Moore and Jake Gyllenhaal, among others. Uh, this film is going to be playing exclusively in theaters. So, uh, at least for the time being, and, uh, and, uh, I wonder how long it'll take it before it gets put on, maybe on, uh, on the Peacock streaming service, uh, again, again, we'll see, but, but exclusively in theaters on, uh, on June 4th and, um, Spirit Untamed is rated PG for some adventure action. So, you know, choices to make in the theater, uh, again, A Quiet Place Part 2, Cruella from last weekend, and then... And then this weekend, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and Spirit Untamed. For reviews this week, uh, I we'll be reviewing the new Disney film Cruella, which opened up last weekend. And Cruella, as you uh, probably already know, is, is an exploration of the origins of the great villain from uh, Disney's 101 Dalmatians, Cruella DeVille. And in this film, Cruella DeVille is played by Emma Stone. And, uh, Emma Stone really nails it. You probably are familiar with the uh, the other live action versions of this of this that Disney did uh, in the '90s. They did uh, 101 Dalmatians, and then a sequel they called 102 Dalmatians. This starred Glenn Close as Cruella Deville. 
but uh, she, you know, she started as adult Corella Deville. This is this is more again uh, an exploration of the origins of Corella Deville, and you know, initially when I heard about this project, I just rolled my eyes and just thought, oh dear. Here's another, you know, money grab, a creatively bereft money grab. Um, but I, I stand corrected. This is a very creative, very original, and very entertaining film. So, uh, as I mentioned, Emma Stone plays a young Cruella Deville, and and uh, it explores how how uh, Cruella became associated with with Horace and Jasper. Those two guys that are kind of bumbling uh, idiots in the uh, in the animated, uh, you know, in the, in the animated classic, um, but but really the 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 big the big plot in this film, and again, I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, uh, Emma Stone's Cruella Deville is she's she's an aspiring fashion designer, and she's got a lot of talent, and she she gets a job. With the most reputable uh, fashion house in London, that is that is run by this woman called the Baroness, who is played just deliciously by Emma Thompson. So I'm calling this film the Battle of the Emmas because these two <laughs> at battle with each other is really um, just just supremely entertaining. Some some great decisions that I think that were made in this film were. Uh, and you know, ultimately, I think you know can can attribute them to director Craig Gillespie, but uh, they set this film in 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 nineteen in in the early nineteen seventies in London, and uh, so that I thought was a really cool idea, and and there's there's a real great aesthetic that they just take they take major advantage of, and also this film has got one of the best soundtracks that I remember in a really long time. Just using a lot of existing songs again from the time period, and and uh, it's they're just terrific. They just you know set the mood instantly, and and uh, just add to this incredibly entertaining uh, ride. Um, if I were to have a uh, you know a criticism, and my criticisms actually are very minimal, I think it runs a bit long. It runs about two and a half hours, and. I frankly think about a half hour could have been cut out of it. Although I got to tell you, I never got bored, but, but, uh, I just, you know, it, it, it did, it did go on. Um, and again, I'm just never necessarily happy that Disney does these remakes. Um, but this one was just of such, uh, high quality and such a high entertainment value that, that, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to rip, rip on them for, for making this film, so so Cruella gets a big, big uh, two big thumbs up from me, and I uh, hope you will you'll be able to, to see Cruella in theaters right now, as well as if you pay the extra fee to see it with their premiere access feature on Disney Plus, that's another way to do it too. And again, when you use that premiere access feature on Disney Plus, you pay a one time fee. Which I think I think is thirty dollars, and it's in your library as long as you as long as you keep your Disney Plus subscription. So you'll be able to watch it um, over and over as many times as you want, uh, 
and, and then again, it's you know, and it's available to you months before it will be available to the general public who, who just has kind of you know the regular Disney Plus account. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this, but but <laughs> Cruella Deville or, or Cruella, you know, about Cruella Deville is is uh, uh, I, I highly recommend it. three-by series this month where I pick three films from a specific director. Um, I picked the director uh, Yashujiro Otsu, and he's a Japanese director. And the first time I heard about him, uh, I think on on uh, multiple kind of all-time best films list is a film named Tokyo Story. That was released in 1953. That was directed by, by Yashijiro Otsu, and um, I finally took the chance to watch to watch it. It's one of the films I one of the three films I picked. But um, so I, really for me, he was he's not a well known director. I was just familiar with the title of the of the of the of the, of the Tokyo Story film. But um, he was born in 1903. And uh, he began his career directing um, silent films, and then he uh, he started, you know, just making other feature films. And then uh, he started; he was able to make a few, a handful of color films before his death in 1963. One interesting thing I thought was uh, learning more about him. He 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 was born and he died on December twelfth. So he died on he died when he on his sixtieth um, birthday, which, which I thought was which I thought was interesting. But um, he uh, he started making uh, you know um, I, I you know some of his earlier films I think cross different genres. But but where he really gained his notoriety was uh, um, creating creating these films that are that are really interesting look uh, that provided a very, very interesting look at marriage and family and and really the relationship kind of the parent child relationship within within this dynamic and. Um, and another interesting note that uh, he he never married, and he didn't have any kids of his own. Um, but I just found these films to be have such uh, depth and insight into these relationships. And so, I mean, clearly he he didn't work on them alone, and I think he had other people that helped him. He he wrote many of the, of the screenplays. That that of course that that he that he directed as films, but but he also I think there was some collaboration going on, but um so the three films I picked of his and 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 by the way I I watched these films on on uh, the Criterion Channel streaming service, they have quite a few of Ozu's films, and I, I think there might have been like thirteen uh, or possibly fifteen. 
So I, I had to do some research to decide which ones to pick in addition to Tokyo Story. So Tokyo Story was the first one I watched, which I mentioned was, was in 1953. Um, it was filmed in black and white. And um, Tokyo Story was really one of the most poignant films I've seen in quite a while. Uh, it's about uh, two, two uh, parents, you know, uh, you know, a man and a woman. And they are, uh, they are well into their 60s, maybe even in their 70s. It doesn't really say their age, but they're older. Their kids are all adults and, and have moved out of the house. The, they, they have three children. Uh, the, uh, um, and, and, and one, of their, one of their kids got killed, was killed in World War II as a son. So, but their but their daughter in law is still uh, still alive, um, you know. I mean, of course, she she you know she didn't die in the war; she was at home. But um, so, but then they've got a, they've got a son and a daughter who are both the do- the son's a doctor, and and the daughter runs a uh, beauty parlor, and they they these parents live in in uh, the country, and they come into Tokyo to to spend some time with their kids, um kind of like on a vacation sort of deal. And this 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 uh what what unfolds or what what get what what uh what gets explored is that um both the the living son and daughter, you know, the doctor and the beauty parlor owner, they aren't really they're very busy. Of course they've got very busy professions uh and family life, but they're not interested in spending time with their parents and uh even you know the 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 grandchildren uh are all are kind of put out by by this too they just want to go about their lives and are not interested in spending time with their grandparents and the only one who's really who's really shows the grandparents any kind of uh, decency and respect is this daughter-in-law the widowed daughter-in-law, you know, of, of, of their, of their son who was killed in the war. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I won't give it away in case you want to see it, but, but, uh, it, it, it's just this very, um, moving and of course sad, uh, uh, exploration into this, into this phenomenon. It was interesting to me to, to have this explored through, through uh, the eyes of a Japanese director, I think that some of this stuff is, is though is very is probably universal. Although you know, I I think, and again, maybe this is just an overblown stereotype, but that that uh, you know I, I have heard or or experienced or been told that uh, that typically that in Japanese culture. There's much more respect for their elders than than we have probably like in our country or perhaps in other places around the world, but uh, this this movie was was um, very enlightening and very moving. Uh, Ozu has a has a very you know distinctive style. His camera is mostly static. You know, he's not he's not moving things around a lot. Uh, I mean, he gets, you know, shots at different angles, but each shot 
is so beautifully composed. Um, I just, it was just an absolute pleasure to watch this, you know, the artistry in this film. And and that continued through through you know, through through, uh, through all three three of these films. It's a very very distinctive style that you could tell is you know again made by the same same director. The um, but yeah, Tokyo Story absolutely wowed by it and and would highly recommend it. I mean you know it's not it's not a perky film, but it's also not just completely hopeless and won't, and won't just necessarily. Wipe you out, although it's you know it's it's emotional, but but uh, but um, really, really uh, a remarkable film. So the other two films I picked, you know, again because this guy he, he uh, Osu directed a lot of films, and I wasn't sure if I should explore some of these older ones or these newer ones. I decided to go newer. I wanted to see what his films look like in color, and and so. That was the uh, the choice I made, and I probably am going to go back and watch some some of these other films of his. Um, these last two that I watched, as I mentioned, they uh, were in color. Um, first one was his actual his first color film that he directed in 1958 called Equinox Flower, and and uh, Equinox Flower is is a uh, again focused on on a, a a family and it's about a, a a very domineering father and again probably not unlike many uh you know fathers of the time period uh in some ways he reminded me of my own father but uh but uh this, this and who's uh, you know who's happily married uh, their his marriage, their marriage was arranged, and and uh, and so he's got a daughter. He's got two daughters actually, uh, that that are living at home, and 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 one of the daughters has fallen in love, and and uh, wants to get married to to this to this guy who, the fan, you know, the father just doesn't feel like they know much about him and then the daughter is is acting you know in irrationally and in a, in a disrespectful in a disrespectful way so it's really about this this conflict and this dynamic between this very traditional father and the daughter and you know and the daughter you know she's not living with this she's not living with him she's not i i don't think that there's you know there's a lot of hanky panky going on it's just uh, she's 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 marrying for love. She wants to marry for love, and and uh, and the father feels I think is just like uh, you know it's uh, everything is out of his control. So uh, I, I really again another another excellent film told uh, you know created in that very same style with that static camera and those these beautiful shots. Um, this one isn't, of course, nearly as as uh, uh, as tragic as Tokyo's story, but again, a really interesting insight into, I think, into Japanese society of the time period, and also uh, an interesting exploration of the parent-child dynamic. The last one I watched was was actually Ozu's final film, and uh, it's called An Autumn Afternoon, and. Uh, this is about 
uh, again, you know, it's a drama and, and, and set, set within a family. It's about a, it's about a, a father whose wife died and he's got, he's got two children. He's got a, a, a son and a daughter. Uh, the daughter, uh, who's 24 years old has really taken the role of, of, um, you know, taking over, she's taking over the household and takes care of her dad. And even though her dad's perfectly capable and he goes to work every day and, you know, whatnot, but there's this, there's this dynamic and there's all these other different relationships or things that are explored in the film that, uh, of people making these different decisions. One in particular is, is one of, is one of the, you know, the, 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 the father's, um, school friends, who also is in a similar situation. He, he, his, his wife died and his daughter pretty much gave up her, all of her marriage prospects to stay and take care of her dad. And, and, uh, so this, this particular father, our, our main one is, is grappling with that. You know, should he, should he focus on, himself and have and have his daughter give up her life to take care of him or should he should he encourage her to to get married and then um figure out how he's gonna you know take care of himself for the rest of his life so it's um i thought it was an excellent film and and kind of a fitting way for for um ozu to to end his film filmmaking career with this kind of a film it's really it's really kind of a perfect coda about um you know life and death and and uh being alone um i um i was quite smitten with it so so uh good stuff uh for uh for um you know i was grateful that i again not knowing a lot of information other than tokyo story that i was able to to pick these films by yashijiro otsu and uh if you you know have access to the criterion collection uh streaming service i think there's a lot of good a lot of good stuff one other thing of 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 note there's um there's a a documentary that's also on uh on the Criterion channel about Yashijiro Ozu that's directed by Wim Wenders. Uh it's called Tokyo Ga and I'm excited to watch that. I, ha- I wasn't able to watch that before recording the podcast, but we'll look forward to to uh, watching that and learning more about Yashijiro Ozu. Well, that does it for this episode of the Movies Past and Present Podcast. Again, links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Links are also on the blog. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at MoviesPAP. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be safe out there, 
and dedicate yourself to the truth. Bye.